Um, so, welcome to episode 20 of the Digital Doctor podcast. I'm Wai Kiong, and today we have Ed, and we also have a very exciting guest all the way uh, from Portland, Oregon, in the United States West Coast, um, Michael. So, um, welcome, Michael, to our podcast. Hi, thank you so much, Wai Kiong and Ed, for having me on the show today. Ed, you haven't said hello yet. Oh, yeah, sorry. Well, you didn't give me the opportunity, but sorry. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, so Michael is a, uh, a family practitioner, I guess what in the UK, what we call a GP uh, over in the US. And I happened to come across uh, something exciting that he's doing about um, open, self, um, EPR, open source uh, EPRs over there. So I thought it'd be great to have him on. So, Michael, do you want to tell us a little bit about, uh, about yourself first? Sure. Thank you. Um, and so... Um, I am a family practitioner in um, Portland, Oregon, and I've been um, um, doing solo family practice for a little over 10 years. Um, and so my path to uh, making my um, electronic medical record system was kind of a roundabout way. Um, just a little bit more about my background. Before I went to medical school, I did a lot of computer type stuff, more as a hobby, more than anything else. And so it was just something that um, I had some prior uh, background knowledge in. And so when I started my um, solo practice in um, the United States, it, there were some challenges, especially for general practitioners here, um, one of them being um, the declining reimbursement rates um, for um, services um, rendered at, um, in, in, um, in the United States for primary care. And so I, I modeled my practice initially as a what we call low overhead uh, micro practice. So it relied heavily on electronic medical record systems and, and technology. And this was about 10 years ago. And so I um, had used another um, electronic medical record system at the time that was fairly low cost, but very fairly easy to use. And um, around 2009, there were some changes in the health IT landscape in the United States. Um, and just to give some of your uh, audiences to um, to get a little background on this, um, there were some changes um, legislative-wise called uh, meaningful use that was um, starting to develop at the time, and there were some uh, um, unforeseen or um, unforeseen responses or uh, consequences of this uh, legislation. One of them being that um, a practitioner, if they were going to um, continue to get um, uh, reimbursement from uh, Medicare, which is the, um, the senior citizen uh, um, insurance plan um, given by the United States government, um, that they would have to have a certified um, electronic medical record system. Um, and those certified systems um, are much more costly than the usual one-of-the-mill electronic medical record systems. Um, and so basically, in my response to that, I was worried about my current system that I was using. And in response to that, I was thinking, well, maybe I should try to develop my own only to see where I could take it um, because um, I was envisioning that there was going to be challenges to my own practice. And so that's where the origination of my project began. So this um, meaningful use, is that all part of the uh, high-tech act that the Obama administration put into place where it's trying to incentivize the uptake of electronic patient records in, in family practice. Because if I'm not mistaken, in the U.S., it's almost a bit like the opposite of the U.K. In the U.K., our, our general practice have 
almost have 99% EPR and paperless for many years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wells, I think, and the hospitals, however, is quite far behind. Wells, I think there's a slight reverse in the US, isn't it? Yes, that is correct. And the hospital, the, the, the High Tech Act absolutely is part of that, um, was, is the foundation of the meaningful use um, um, legislation. And so that um, um, was to encourage um, adoption of EMRs. Um, I think a lot of it was geared more towards hospital adoption because even at the time before the legislation um, was passed, um, not, there were, I would say less than 50% of the hospitals were using uh, electronic medical record system and outpatient practices were, were much less even then. And so um, since the legislation has been passed, and this, and this has been since 2009, there's been a lot more um, adoption by hospitals. Um, and the outpatient practices are still uh, lagging behind, especially in primary care. Right, I see. So how did you um, – this is something we like to talk about a lot on the, on the podcast and in general is how um, doctors, when they have ideas about improvements based upon the situation that they find themselves in, um, how they go about actually taking that from an idea through to actually a product that works mm-hmm. and, and integrates. So could you tell us a little bit about sort of your story? And obviously you've said sure. already you've got some background in programming, but – your story about yeah. how you had that idea and how you took it forward. Right. Well, thank you. Yeah. And in, in when I was um, using my current, my, um, my electronic medical record system before I developed my own, I had some ideas already about how things worked in terms of workflow for the physician. Yeah. Um, and, and I think to me that was the most paramount. And one of the things that always bugged me, if you will, was just the lack of um, thought behind the design process um, in these, uh, in the current uh, electronic medical record systems that are available right now, most of them are built on what we call legacy type systems, where they are on older platforms or are kind of constructed in such a way that you can only use a particular operating system to make it work. And it's and it was very restrictive to me in that sense. And and I I did not see the kind of innovation that I was envisioning um, in terms of electronic electronic medical record systems when it comes to uh, physician workflow, and that to me was the was the key element of what I feel would be increasing adoption for electronic medical record systems is to have something that was user friendly, intuitive to use, um, especially from uh, a health healthcare provider standpoint. Mm. And so, yeah, so that that was the genesis of my of my idea, and and basically, you know, how I ended up embarking on this was just. It, it was coincidentally just the birth of my first uh, daughter uh, four years ago, and I was kind of um, twiddling away um, in terms of time. I was not um, in my own practice, and I just had some extra time, and I thought, hey, I might as well just dive into it and just start programming, because if I didn't, it was just going to sit there in my brain and not go anywhere. <laughs> so that was what happened. <laughs> so you started it all off yourself? Pretty much, yes. Um, I had the idea that, you know, basically the... Um, um, uh, I would be working on a platform that's called uh, a LAMP stack, uh, Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. Sure. And similar to, um, I don't know if you've heard of OpenEMR, which is the uh, the open source electronic medical ecosystem that's been out there for quite some time. Yeah. And and I did initially did some work for them um, before I started my project, thinking that I would use that as the as the jumping uh, platform to start with. But then I I decided. Um, that it just wasn't going to continue to work for me because the fundamentally 
and structurally there was just so many changes I would have to make that I it, it sometimes you just it's just better to start all over from scratch and, and go from there and so that's what I did so you, you were at home with a new baby full-time job slaving yep. away with PHP yes that was that, that was the, that was my crazy uh, <laughs> my crazy endeavor that I embarked on <laughs> now, now you mentioned that before you em- embarked on Nosh that you actually had an EMR already in your practice so yes. Uh, how do you get the records over, or do you just say, right, we'll just break from the past and start from scratch? Yeah, it's basically a break from the past. I still had the electronic medical record system that I used uh, before, but I primarily just, um, in terms of exporting and importing functions, there wasn't any good, clean way to do it, um, at least to transfer discrete data. Um, but um, what I did was um, you could you know, print them out, but I printed them out electronically as a PDF, um, just created a whole batch of PDFs, basically imported it directly into um, the new um, record system that I was using, so that or that I developed. So that was that was the way that I um, uh, tackled that uh, that issue. Right. I guess uh, just thinking about you having to create a, a whole electronic medical record makes me a little bit dizzy. The amount of yeah. work you need to do. So how how do you approach that? Kind of what did you start with? And yeah. Well, I think a, a part of it was just over time as you use an uh, electronic medical record system, even from others, other systems, you kind of get a sense. And I guess for me, I was always kind of getting a sense of what was, what just made sense in terms of a workflow and how that would translate to um, a database um, um, design and, and flexibility, if you will. Um, and so that was always on the back of my mind when I was seeing other EMR systems out there. And, and as I was using it. And so when it came time for me to develop my EMI system, a lot of it just structurally in my mind was already there. It's just a matter of just putting it down into code um, and, and doing it. And then part of it too was just because I was using it for my own practice and I didn't release it out to the public until a couple years later that I basically was my own beta tester, if you will. I, right. you know, my first my first version obviously was nothing like what it is now, but it uh, it just I kept you know improving it and trying to find ways to um, utilize some of the newer technologies, especially when it comes to JavaScripting, to make the workflow um, aspects more to the idea that I was envisioning when I first developed the project. And so just over time, part of that was just um, trial and error and experience and just continuing to refine it as, as you go along. And so that's, so that was what I, that was how I, how my project developed. See, see Michael, you, you've directly illustrated the point about why Y. Kyung needs to learn to code. <laughs> oh, because he's got again. he's got all of these ideas, and then he's got an army of slaves who then make them happen for him. <laughs> yeah, well, coding for me sometimes is a little bit therapeutic. I mean, it's one of those where it's, it, it I know it's, it sounds strange, but for me, it's more like you know, with medicine, the, the medicine for me, there's there's you know the mix of the art and science aspect of it, and a little bit of that uncertainty when you. When you deal with a patient that has these multiple com- uh, medical complexities, then you have to deal with those, especially for chronic patients. And then you get coding, which is almost very strict and kind of rigid in a such a, in a way. If you know how you know how the way things logically go, and 
and to me that's sort of like a, a stress reliever yeah <laughs> you know, I, I have never heard anyone describe it that way and it's actually quite interesting <laughs> oh it's yeah. it's, a, it's absolutely that and that's one of the reasons i left family medicine i guess is because i just wanted things to be more ordered but also i find the coding incredibly um well it's different when you've got a client breathing down your neck i'll admit but um yeah it's uh, I, I find it very relaxing but you, you've illustrated perfectly in what you just said this this join between you know seeing and being a first-hand user of a bad system then having the skills and you know making the time and being passionate about something to actually you know make something better but not only that be able to test it on yourself in a real life environment and that's something i'm really jealous of now because i'm and it makes me almost think that i wish i continued in in uh in family practice uh, just so I could do that. But obviously the, the systems over here are such that it will be difficult just to, you know, bring in your <laughs> only EMR absolutely. to your, your, G, your, your surgery and, 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 and sort of start using it. Um, right. But obviously as a single practice GP, you had, you know, you're very, you're fairly flexible. Uh, I'd say fairly, cause I'm sure there are some sort of reporting functions that you did have to have in your system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah speaking, speaking of that, do you want to give us a, a rough idea of what, uh, you call it NOSH, is that right? Yes, NOSH. Yeah. Project NOSH. I mean, can you tell us a bit more about what it, what features it has, what it, what it can do, all from kind of from running your practice and all the way to actually how you use it when you see patients? Right. So fundamentally, NOSH is basically a charting system. So the, the focus of it is primarily documentation of uh, patient encounters. Um, it also has features where there's basically what we call a patient portal, um, which allows a patient to be able to access their electronic medical record system in a limited way, but uh, fairly um, interactively, where they can um, schedule appointments with patient with their with their provider, um, and also see um, uh, their lab results um, as well as their um, as well as messaging directly and securely with the provider. Granted that they're on the same uh, NOSH system, and so that's um, that's one. Um, uh, one part of it that, that I feel was actually very important for me as a solo practitioner is to have that um, <clears throat> ability to communicate with my patients. And then the other part of the other features that it has is um, it has a, a billing feature where um, it allows you to create uh, claims and bills and send them off electronically um, uh, to, um, in the United States, we have these electronic clearing houses where right. we send to insurances. And so that's um, it, so that's the other thing that it does. It's not the it's not the end, it's not the main feature, and that's one of the things that I always found frustrating with um, the current EMRs um, in the United States was that a lot of it was really based upon uh, the foundation was more based on administrative and billing, and the documentation process was more of a kind of a, an add on or just an afterthought, and 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 that was what for me was kind of. The detriment to a lot of these designs that um, <clears throat> that affected my workflow, and so that, um, but it does have all of those features as well, and, and um, it also does electronic prescribing if you have it connected with another. Basically, it's one of the what we call um, electronic prescribing networks, um, and uh, and for this one, it's called Arcopia or Doctor First, and that's what we use. Um, um, with Nash, and that's what, uh, um, and so that's another feature that's also. So, so you've managed to actually integrate 
all, Nosh to all these external services like their clearing houses and electronic prescribing and all that? Yes, um, it's not a direct connection other than with the e, uh, the e prescribing. Um, the the billing is basically just what Nosh does is it generates a, a what we call a, it's a text file, if you will. That's a print image file which can be uploaded to um, any of the electronic clearinghouses, and those are usually web based. And so it's not a direct you know yep. connection where, but the but um, the ability to import and export those files to um, those services is is just a matter of downloading um, the file from Nash and importing it to the other service. So that's how that works. So I understand you are running uh, a campaign on Indiegogo. Could you tell us a bit more about that and why you sure. decided to go that route and that kind of thing? Sure. So, um, you know, basically, you know, given that this is an open source project, I'm obviously not getting any um, funding through the licensing of my product. And yeah. so a lot of what I've been doing income-wise was basically working as a consultant with um, other practices who are interested in using NOSH. And, and so I would help them uh, with the um, um, design and implementation of, of NOSH and then helping them install it if they feel that they need that, um, that additional service and also customizing the code. And, and, you know, if there's any particular features that they want specifically, that would be something that I would be uh, um, handling. And so that, that that was where basically my income revenue, if you will, is, is generated from this. But yep. one of the things that I mentioned earlier about e-prescribing was that there was this one feature that I had developed for one of my clients. Um, and um, and this, uh, uh, this e-prescribing network required that if I was going to say that I can do this particular feature... I needed to um, pay up a, a, a licensing fee um, to say that I can do it, um, even though I've already done the work, <laughs> which was kind of weird. Um, um, so anyways, uh, and so I basically just kept it under wraps, but I wanted to have the ability for, for me to say, hey, I can, do, you know, my system does this. And if people ever just looked at my source code, they'll see that it's actually capable of doing it right off the bat. So, but it's just more of a formality, if you will. Uh, but because I'm, you know, right now, just from the scale of things for the funding, um, I just didn't feel like it was appropriate for me to tell this particular client, hey, pony up, you know, XX amount for this, um, for this. And, 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 and I felt like it was probably something where if I was going to be doing it in the, in the spirit of open source, to really try to make this more of a public and community uh, developed type of uh, uh, a project. And so that was where I decided that crowdfunding like Kickstarter and, and Indiegogo was the way to go to try to see if I could uh, gather these funds um, to, um, to pay up for that, uh, for that, one, for that licensing fee. So how, how how many out oh, curiosity? So how many other practices um, have taken have, are using Notch besides yours? Sure. Um, well, because it's um, a lot of it's, some of it is kind of hard to tell because I'm getting people downloading it. Um, I can't tell for sure some of them are using it of course, um, yeah. either for you know are they just doing it for trial purposes or they actually are implementing the practices. But I know of at least um, uh, ten uh, specific practices that are use that are using it uh, wow. for. For their um, for their um, 
for their own practices, and they range from a wide variety of um, specialties, which was which was uh, astounding to me. Actually, I was kind of uh, uh, I was surprised by it. Um, I have people that are not just in family practice, but also who are um, uh, here. They call naturopathic physicians here, and we also have acupuncturists that were interested in this project, um, and then. One one unusual one that I had was a, a pharmacy um, that wanted to use my um, system, and I wasn't sure how they would use my system <laughs> for that purpose. But they surprisingly, you know, basically what they were trying to do was that they were trying to connect with a variety of other primary care practices and using Nosh as kind of the central um, uh, repository, if you will, of patient information. Because they're doing medical or medication management uh, for these Medicare uh, populations, and so that's so I thought, hey, that's great. And so they, you know, they took my project and they just changed a few things, look here and there, and, and then they're using it basically um, um, as uh, as uh, their their networks. Uh, so I mean, I guess one of the things about open source is that, as you say, you don't fully understand. You, you, and I guess one of the beauty about it is you don't need to tell people how to use it. They can decide how they want to use it. Right. Um, now, now, how, do you have other developers that are contributing back to the base code or you know of anyone else that you know is, is altering the code and making customizations? Yeah, um, it's, uh, my project is, you know, it's been released um, less than about nine months out, so it's still fairly young in terms of the open source um, developers. So technically, right now, I'm the only one that's the developing, that's still developing this code. There hasn't been anyone that I'm aware of um, on GitHub or Launchpad where my source code is uh, is residing um, that uh, that is contributing as of now. But if I, you know, my goal is to try to get more and more people interested, in, whether it be physicians or either or other uh, software developers that want to go into help IT that they can look in my system and see where it can take them. Yeah, I mean, I can empathize with that. I've been releasing open source stuff the last 18 months, and uh, I haven't, apart from Y Kyung bugging me on the issues threads <laughs> on GitHub, I haven't had any other coders come along, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> it, it takes time. It does, yeah. And part of it is just developing a community, and I know that, you know, it's, it's, it, it is building, you know, taking time, you know, it does take time in trying to build a, a community of users that are engaged and want to see this project thrive. And I mean, and, if it's a big project as well, obviously the yeah. accessibility is much less. So, you know, the projects that other people like to get involved in are often the really small little plugins and things and widgets right. and stuff like that because they've got a small code base which is easy to understand. When you're looking right. at something like an EMR, that's going to be big. So it's going to take exactly. someone you know, who's not familiar with the project you know, quite a lot of time just to get up to speed with how it works and what the purpose is. And I mean, that can, that can slow you, I mean, that can slow down the, the uptake sort of rate for contributors I found as well. That's right. I'm just playing with your demo system at the moment. I'm, I'm in yeah. the uh, prescribing uh, in the medication section, and I must say, the way you've instituted it is already quite neat compared to the stuff that I actually have to use on a daily basis. So, right, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, you can tell it's designed by someone who's actually using the system. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things that I found that people were, you know, when I made my system initially, I didn't envision that I was going to release it to, and you know, for a general public, if you will, when I had designed it my, primarily for my own practice, but um, I had a, a physician colleague that just came across my system because he saw me trying to 
enter something when I was uh, taking call for uh, one of my patients and saw my system and said, what system is that? And I was like, uh, oh, that was something that I just made. And it's like, that looks way better than what I'm using. <laughs> and, and he said, why don't you just, you know, give it, you know, give it out to other people. And I said, yeah, I think maybe I will if I had the time. And so that's one of the things that, you know, basically, basically about eight months ago when I released it out to the public, I made a, a decision basically to end my solo practice uh, because I knew I had to put in more of my time to promote this um, this system and uh, and just juggling both things at once was going to be difficult. So, like Ed, it sounded like you know I, you know, it's uh, I'm I'm making this transition, if you will, to see where it, where it takes me. Um, I'm sad to you know I, I I miss my solo practice in some ways, but I hope to. See if that if this if this project does become successful, that maybe someday I might go back into it. <laughs> the hardest thing is not persuading yourself. I find that was the yeah. that was the easy part. It was persuading those who love you around you that it's the you're doing the right thing. <laughs> right, <laughs> that, exactly. That, that is the that is the real challenge. At least I found that. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize. So you've actually given up clinical practice temporarily at the moment to yeah, take well, this forward. Yeah, partially. I, I I still do what we call. Um, I basically work at a um, at an urgent care center here, yeah. and just to you know get get some money and you know I still pay for my family and all of that. But it's it's much less uh, work to do that than to run your own clinic and practice where you've got all the administrative stuff. So it was one of those things where I had to. Um, decide which was more important at this moment, and so I felt like, well, this is the opportunity um, for me to try to see where this EMR can take. I'm going to just take us a little bit. It's not off track. It's the same thing, but we talk a lot on this podcast about that very huge question about should doctors learn to code if they want to. Um, and I know that in the US, you've got a a big thing, a Code for America. Have you heard of that? Well, yes, um, I've heard of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what what do you think about that whole sort of whole sort of thing. Do you think it's a good idea for doctors to be learning the basics and hacking things together and, um, you know, to get ideas started? Or do you think there's a better way to go after being through what you've been through? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, me, you know, there's probably some personal bias here because I I am a coder. But I really think that, you know, for doctors who have a interest in and um, the, the you know the current technologies and just incorporating I mean just all the innovations that have happened over the past five years with the smartphones and apps and all of those things that I think there are some younger generation of doctors that are really tech savvy and um, have a little bit of insight and in terms of how they want things to work and that would make it more user friendly and convenient for them to for their day to day practices and I really think that there is a group out there that. Uh, would like to know how to code or had a little bit of um, experience with coding, and I, I, I really am. Uh, I would like to encourage uh, doctors to do more of that if they feel like they're they're up to it. Only because I think you know, I don't think anyone else really knows how it is to um, to think things through clinically and workflow wise clinically than the doctors themselves. And I think that's one of the issues that I've always seen with what's been given to us um, in terms of electronic medical record systems that it just wasn't really thought through as a, you know, from a physician standpoint and the things that we had to go through through medical school um, in terms of, <clears throat> in terms of um, how we communicate with patients, how we go through differential diagnoses and all of those things that it just, <clears throat> I think having the combination of 
uh, being able to have that medical experience plus doing the coding to, so that they can just jumpstart their way into creating innovative uh, products um, that really work for the doctor and not, uh, not for administrators. And that, to me, was, I think, a, a really uh, key point for me for my own, uh, my own, um, uh, my own professional uh, practice, and and I think that's I think it's it's probably relevant to other um, young physicians that are out there as well. Well, I congratulate you because you just made the point in a minute much better than we did in an hour and a half. <laughs> Ninety minutes. Yeah. So. <laughs> so thank you. We'll have to signpost that little snippet of audio on our, on our website. <laughs> now, you know you. At the very beginning, you've actually built in the ability for your, you know, for your patients to do the transactional stuff, you know, booking appointments <laughs> and things like that. It was that, and, and and messaging. I mean, using messaging for patients to get in touch with uh, their family practitioners that seemed like such common sense, but for mm-hmm. a lot of people, that is actually something that they can't possibly imagine and. UK is actually going through this at the moment because our government here has said, but in two years' time, every single general practitioner in the country will need to provide this functionality uh, mm-hmm. to 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 their patients. Is is some is is there something is there a similar problem in the US or or yeah or yes. there is all right okay there is yeah I think there was definitely a similar situation and I think that you know the design of my practice aside from my EMR was really to address some of those issues. Um, uh, when I had finished medical school in my residency program, I saw a trend where, you know, with primary care doctors um, having reimbur- uh, declining reimbursement rates and we're, you know, they're struggling just to keep up, you know, keep, uh, uh, keep up in terms of um, the number of patients they have to see to keep the bottom line going and um, the amount of administrative work that they had to do. They were just drowning and, uh, and the, the side effect of that is that they were just having less um, um, interaction with their patients, both in the office visit as well as um, when they have to deal with uh, 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 calls out, um, after hours and those types of things um, um, with the patients. And, and so the detriment is that the doctors don't know really, you know, who their patients really are, and 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 it affected the care of both not just you know in terms of uh, health wise, but also cost wise, because a lot of these patients would end up going to emergency rooms when they didn't know that they could get the kind of care that they needed, personal care that they needed from their from their general practitioner. And so um, for me, you know, when I started my solo practice, I, I stripped it down where it was just basically me and the patient. I just had um, one other person doing financial and insurance type stuff, but there was no nurses or anything like that. It was just me and the patient. And so for me, it was all about transparency and just having that direct connection with my patient and spending more time with them, which was kind of the opposite of what the trend was going was going towards in, uh, in the United States and um, in terms of uh, primary care. And so that's, uh, to me, the design of that patient portal was fundamental as well because it helped me save my time in terms of being able to play, you know, not having to play phone tag with the patient if they have internet access and you can can get on and schedule patient uh, schedule themselves in, or if they have a, a a general question about their health or to decide whether they need to come in or not, that's be something that I could handle um, electronically um, without um, you know all these other um, uh, uh, barriers that are in the way. So and that the, was, pa- the patients must quite like that. 
Yeah, they they really liked that actually, and that was one of the things that they you know the the, the my my patient uh, uh, panel they were really um, uh, both tech savvy and they were they were grateful for having that kind of system. And I think that when they when they found out that I was going to end my practice, they were they were kind of dismayed to see that the other doctors that they were getting you know that they were the new doctors that they were seeing just didn't have that. Kind of service, and um, and they were like thinking, "What's going on here?" <laughs> they just, you know, I guess that was the expectation that all, most of these other doctors would have had this kind of system, but they don't right now. And that's the other reason why I feel like you know having my system out there is to say there's an alternative. And I think that uh, um, especially the general practitioners who are um, uh, worried about their own future, that maybe and they want to. Um, provide better care for their patients to have this kind of system that uh, would help them uh, in the long run. And so that's, you know, that's, um, that's where I, you know, that's, for me, I like, you know, I like to see where this goes only just in the, in the um, with the, with the end result that we're providing um, better care for our patients. Now, can I, can yeah, I ask a on. geeky question? Yeah. How did you handle the you mentioned it was secure messaging. Um, how did yes. you handle the secure messaging aspect of your product? Sure. Well, it's secure in the sense that basically the messaging is done all internally within the server. Um, I mean, the, it's web, it's a web-based. Um, yeah. It's a web-based uh, server, and so it's all done by SSL. You know, they have to. You know, they log in. It's through HTTPS. Uh, okay. Um, but that's the, but the messaging is all in. You know, it's it's internal, so it's nothing like it's not an email. Oh, so it's not going from server to server. So you didn't have to worry about encrypting in motion and that kind of thing. Yeah, that is correct, right? Yeah. So it's all internal. So basically, the way my the patient portal um, is essentially just a, a downstream. You know, basically the, the user levels in my system are go from you know there's the highest, which is the provider, and then there's administ- then there's assistants and and billers, um, and then there's a patient level. Basically, everyone has, you know, they just log in to NOSH. It's not like it's a separate... It's different levels of access to different features. It's just, yeah. Exactly. And the patient portal is just the low, is, the, is, is, um, is at a lower level, but they still have access to those records, and they can message um, directly to their provider. And so that's how that... That's how the, the, that messaging uh, system works. I must say, Michael, you're making me want to, after this podcast, go and start building an EMR. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm already feeling it. I'm, I'm, the writing, I'm writing a few notes. I'm thinking about my oh. database structure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad it's infectious. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I get the sense that there are some doctors out there that really have have these thoughts about it, but in having an open source project like this just gives a maybe, you know, you know, my contribution would be to say, hey, here's a starting point and maybe we can build on it. And I and I think that, you know, obviously I think there's 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 no one right way to do it. And I think a lot of doctors want to have that flexibility to to tinker around um, and to, to to develop something that really works for them and their patient population. And and for me, I don't, you know, that's one of the reasons why I felt that doing it open source is is really key, is to allow that flexibility to happen and say, hey, you're not going to be restricted with, you know, if you get NOSH, that this is the only thing you can get, and if you can't get what you want, then sorry, we're not going to do any, you know, and you don't have any other options. So the the idea is that you know this is the stepping stone for if you want to fiddle around with it and um, make it to your own um, liking, you know, feel free to do so. And um, and that's um, that to me is, is part of the spirit that I want to uh, bring forth, especially with um, our um, 
our independent practices in the United States but and elsewhere around the around the world to say hey you know you're not you're not having to be uh, enslaved by by what's out there in health um, uh, information technology right now there's another option out there. so Michael uh, how do you I just wanted to ask a bit more about interoperability um, what do you use any particular data standards or terminology uh, in NOSH well, I'm, so I'm thinking around things like ICD-9 ICD-10 Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, right now, NOSH um, uses ICD-9. Um, uh, it can be easily integrated with ICD-10. It's just a matter of importing the data, you know, importing the, the ICD-10 database into my system, which is not a big deal. It doesn't require a whole lot of recoding to do that. Um, but because the United States, we're still stuck with ICD-9, that's kind of where the emphasis is right now. It's got the uh, ability to import a Snowbit database as well uh, in NOSH. Um, it's, option, it's, not, it's not built in because of licensing issues with Snowmed. So, you know, there's instructions on, on my website about how to um, import the database once you get, you know, once um, you're able to, um, to download the database um, um, uh, from, from whichever country you're get your uh, Snowmed database from and then uh, and so and then we also have the ability to import um, in the United States we use CPT coding for billing and so that's the other thing that right. uh, we use as well and and one of the things that I find um, interesting is kind of the, the progression of natural language processing which I think is going to be really a great complement to, to NOSH and so I'm looking you know I think that uh, having the ability for physicians to be able to still enter kind of their own in their own uh, narrative of, of occupation yep. without having to deal with discrete data and figuring out what terminology works for this. And, you know, I don't think doctors really think of it that way, or at least coming out in training, they're not um, thinking of it that way unless they had some um, expertise in health IT. Just having that availability and using NOSH as a way to freeform, if you will, just narrative and that was one of the things that I designed NOSH too is it's a little different than other EMR systems where there's a lot of um, restrictions yeah. on you have like this I mean we have there's templates if you look on NOSH there's a lot of pointing and clicking but it's all it's not it's it's not uh, rigid or strict it's just uh, oh, it's just mainly a way to enter free text faster but the free but the, the data elements are are primarily free text uh, if you will <clears throat> and so that um, allows the provider to if they want to dictate into it or use um, their Android system and they want to talk or their um, or the iPad system you know, and speak into it and dictate and put it into the input uh, uh, field. They can, yeah. And they can do that, right. And um, and it's not, and the EMR won't so hey, do that. So, yeah. Sorry to bring you back to kind of the beginning. I guess one of the things you said earlier on about meaningful use now, you talked about meaningful use stage one, I suppose, and now stage two is coming, and 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 these are links directly to the reimbursements that a practitioner like yourself can get, isn't it, from from central government? Now, yes. how, how is it hard to get your your EMR certified? Because I guess yeah. one of the things that might prevent uptake is that people might not choose to use NOSH because they can't get that extra reimbursement. Yes. That is, you know, I think um, a couple years ago when Meaningful Use started, um, there was, the, you know, 
you know, there's this big push to try to get all of these EMRs certified, but it also caused a, 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 an unintended consequence, if you will, in terms of the cost of these EMRs to yep. skyrocket, and that was what caused my, you know, my impetus to create my own because the one that I was using before just could, I could no longer afford to use that in my low overhead practice, and so, um, and so. Um, <clears throat> with the meaningful use, yeah, that is definitely for me. I think um, uh, it, it was, it is actually a barrier, especially for the lower, um, the the primary care practices and also the independent practices, where they're really they don't have the resources and scale necessary to fund uh, you know multi million dollar uh, EMR system. Uh, it, it wouldn't make sense if you you know from that from from that financial. So are you are you actually saying that? Meaningful use in in some situations have driven up the cost of the EMR so much that the reimbursement doesn't balance up that cost of. Yes. Yes. Right. That's okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I I think you know I think it's one of, and and on top of that, it, it does add a, la- a layer of uh, bureaucracy, if you will. Um, one even if you get a certified EMR, you have to actually prove that you're using yeah. it, and that process is actually time consuming and some of it which is you know which to me sounds kind of uh, ironic and archaic is that some of it is paper based which is like <laughs> why, do you, why do you have to show something on paper that you're actually doing something electronically and it just didn't to me it, it's sort of like and if, for me it was sort of like I'm throwing myself back into the stone age where you know 10 years before that I was pretty much doing everything what meaningful use was striving doctors to do but with the changes that um, the legislation had, it really kind of put a dent on my ability to do what I was already doing do you before. Want, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I'm just mindful that a lot of our audience might not actually know what kind of things go into meaningful use. So do you want to just maybe have exa- one or two examples of what kind of stuff that the people measure meaningful use against? Yeah. So meaningful use, one of them, um, one of the first measures um, in stage one, um, for example, was um, documentation of tobacco use for patients. And so <clears throat> so it's not just a matter of saying in your EMR, you know, what the, the, what the tobacco smoking status is for your patient. You have to actually click a button and say that, oh, I've reviewed this and it's a way for me to track it so I can send that information to to Medicare or to the, yep. to the government saying, hey, I've done this. And so instead of just one click, it became maybe two or three clicks and it's going through a different window to say, hey, you've got this covered and and it's audited and now you can now you can proceed. And then sometimes it's, it's, it, it creates a, you know, a design flaw, if you will, because it's not just a matter of just going from one window, you know, just doing everything in, in one window that would seem logical, but you have to go through two different steps to to get there, which I think is just particularly frustrating, especially for practitioners, for physicians who right. don't, you know, that are already, you know, tenuous about technology to begin with and um, having to deal with all these extra steps. It just didn't make any sense to me. Um, I mean, I understand the whole goal of meaningful use and the, the whole, um, the, 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 the drive for doing for doing it, I, you know, I, I totally get. You know, I want. You know, I would like to get physicians to 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 use electronic health, health record systems. Um, but I think the approach was just not uh, thought through, and I think that there was um, that I think that there was a lot of stake for a lot of these larger EMR vendors that had a larger market share. They they pretty much dictated how this right. legislation was developed, and I, and to the detriment of innovators like my own project, for example. It does put uh, a lot of pressure on um, 
getting through out, you know, getting through and, and convincing other doctors and saying, hey, there's other alternatives too. So. And have you, out of curiosity, have you, uh, have you been across to UK before? No, well, I've traveled there maybe, uh, uh, maybe see, it's been almost about uh, eight years ago, I think. Um, so it's been a while, but, uh, um, but uh, uh, yeah, so, but it, I haven't been there recently. So. Now, the only reason I bring this up is because um, Ed will probably know a bit, this more, a bit more than myself, because I think Ed had a chance to use some of these uh, GP electronic patient records here before he he, he left. As um, Ed, I mean, what was your experience with it? Because a lot of these things we have to do here already, isn't it? Like submissions about um, smoking status, uh, blood pressure targets. It's all very driven by the electronic patient record. Absolutely, it's all wound up in this payment by results system mm-hmm. and something called Quaff, mm-hmm. which we have over here, which mm-hmm. essentially means that you know GPs, apparently practitioners, need to record certain bits of data for their patients in order to get paid as a practice for giving certain mm-hmm. what we call services um, mm-hmm. to that group. Um, but the, the systems, and, and actually, interestingly, the our original system, which is called EMIS, mm. um, was built by physicians originally. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and it was, it was actually, and it's still used very commonly in some practices, um, but it was um, sort of taken away uh, from them in a way, I guess, about, I don't know if it was 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, and then the usability of the product slowly declined and it wasn't maintained. Mm. Uh, and then what we had was a whole bunch of um, other developers come along. Uh, one of the big other players in the UK is, well, there are two big ones. One's called Vision and the other one's called System One, mm. um, who are much more graphical user interface driven um, but interestingly, not web-based. So all of these tools pretty much all run in a win- on a Windows machine in a desktop client. Um, mm-hmm. Some are graphical. Some require you to use the function keys in order to navigate. I'm thinking of EMIS particularly. Um, but all are, I would say, I've used all of them at some stage, and all of them are definitely not physician-focused. They're much more focused on gathering the data for the administrators mm-hmm. and for billing to actually provide the payment stuff. You should, uh, Michael, you should seriously come over and have a look at some of these things because I think it will probably give you some ideas for NOSH as well. Uh, because I guess yeah. the, the workflow from for primary care wouldn't be that different. And I think between me and Ed, we know quite... Uh, well, if Marcus was here, he, he could probably tell you more because Marcus is a, is a family practitioner. And uh, mm. it would be very interesting because it's such a mature market here. I mean, it's quite incredible mm. that we've got a whole country that nearly 100% of primary care has, doesn't run on paper at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'm actually very jealous of that because you know I travel, you know, I travel to France and Canada, even just up north in Canada, they they've got you know they've got that as well, and it's just sort of astounding to me how behind the United States is in regards to electronic health IT adoption. I and I kind of harp about that on my blog <laughs> quite a bit. Just I mean, how it, far behind we are. About it is this. an achievement, but on the other yeah. hand, we we have the same problem of interoperability. Yeah. Um, right. particularly between primary and secondary care um, and the, the patient access issue. Yeah. Yes. I think there'll yeah. be a lot that'll be happening in the next few years. I mean, there's a lot of change going on here uh, in the health system in general, actually, not just in IT. So it'll yeah. be uh, interesting to watch. But yeah, you should come and I'm sure we can organize for you to have a look at some of these things. 
Yeah, I'd be glad to. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to see, you know, like I said, there's a lot of ideas that have been floating around how Nash can be used in other ways. And yep. I'm getting people from, you know, asking me about how they can, you know, incorporate Nash and having me be, a, you know, a, a developer for that, for that particular use. And it's just, it's just amazing how receptive that how receptive that has been, um, that it's just kind of taken a life of its own. And, um, yeah, and I, I would love to see, and one of the things that I always found astounding was that I think I've been getting a lot more um, interest and reception from outside of the United States. From mm. Nash. I think because I think, I guess the adoption of open source is just, is um, much greater in other countries than in the United States. I think I, when I speak to other doctors locally, um, they're like saying, what's open source? <laughs> what are you talking about? here. <laughs> You know, and it's just, uh, it's a different, it's a very different philosophy. And I think that um, in uh, in other countries, there's a lot more understanding and awareness of what that, what it means and um, and, and, and the willingness to, to utilize it. Uh, whereas I think there's still some hesitation, especially in the healthcare field in, in the United States, where there's, there's a little bit of uh, uh, just, just not knowing much about it. And I think they just are more comfortable with a large piece larger scale implementations and proprietary uh, technologies, um, uh, which I think, again, it's a, it's a barrier, and that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to do this crowdfunding to get my message across. I mean, it's really exciting um, um, what you're doing, and I must say, I didn't realize that you've taken this actually so far. Um, I, I had this impression that you were doing this, but you're still uh, doing medicine. I, of course, I did have an idea that your system's actually in live use in other places as well, so... Um, yeah. So that that's great. Um, so Ed, do you have anything else to ask? Because I think it's a, a great place to end. And um, no, I've, and I've got to go and have a look at Michael's source code and then <laughs> <laughs> make some pull, make some pull requests and <laughs> yeah, uh, then get started on my version for the UK. It's, it's all set out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Well, you you joke about it, but what Marcus and people are actually trying to do as part of Open GP SOC, uh, just to we can end on this actually, but Open GP SOC is actually a, a bit of a movement uh, to create a full open source stack uh, that can then uh, be a choice for GPs to use. Because what mm-hmm. you have to hear is that GPs can only choose. Uh, from uh, a few select uh, providers of the electronic patient record, and that's why it's mm-hmm. called a GP Systems of Choice. That's what SOC stands for. Yeah. So he wants to try to build a whole uh, EPR stack uh, that can then fulfill the criteria for the GP Systems of Choice. Then people can actually have it as a uh, as an option. Right. Right. Well, so uh, yeah. That's great. Yeah, um, it sounds like we need to speak again in, in maybe you know sometime in the future again if this podcast can still keep going. <laughs> yes. And, well, I, uh, yeah, I, I love your podcast. I've been listening to to them uh, over the past few weeks, and I just love how you're just passing. You know, I think it's just great that you're spreading the message around, especially to younger doctors about the the future for health IT, and, and I think it, there's definitely room for for um, great promise and, and, and improvements in terms of this uh, to make it work better for, our, for, for the medical community. Well, if you can make it to the Digital Doctor Conference on the 9th and 10th of November, we might just <laughs> we, we might waive your, your <laughs> registration fee. I'm just a little bit on short order right now with my family, but maybe... <laughs> uh, yeah. okay. we, we've got big plans for next year, which will hopefully make it accessible to everyone. Yeah, all right. So, um, yeah, that's great to speak. 
amazing. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much, Michael. It's been inspirational having you on. And no uh, let's do a let's do a, definitely do a catch up. Uh, and uh, and good luck. And we'll yeah, need to also distribute your um, your link on our show notes. Oh, uh, I've been taking lots yeah. of show note notes. Right. Don't okay. Worry. Excellent. Right. Excellent. Thank you so much. Right. Till next time. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Check for pulse.